4: She burst into the world in 1976. She's at work, she's out on dates, and she don't like politics. From mama and her urban to her feminist friends, she's fighting all the standards with some chocolate in hand. Kathy!
5: idea for a Kathy TV show had been in play since the early 80s. In a piece from the Tennessean in 1982, the proposed version of the show would have been live action with only animated titles, which honestly sounds tight. What's also very different from the pitch and the actual product that came out five years later is the hook of the show. According to John McMahon of producing partner Johnny Carson Productions, Kathy would be, quote unquote, the Mary Tyler Moore of the 80s when the fully animated specials aired five years later, the reality was a bit different. Kathy of these specials is not particularly empowered, but Kathy Geiswhite remained deeply involved in the creative throughout all three specials. She wrote and executive produced Kathy, Kathy's Last Resort, and Kathy's Valentine, which were all built off storylines that had previously appeared in the comic. As Kathy tells it, she had a lot of creative control in this process, but the high-level decisions were made by CBS executives, and they played it very safe. And by safe, I mean Irving's in all of them. The Kathy character was voiced by actor Kathleen Wilhoyt, who I know best as the voice of Pepper Ann, although I'm probably millennializing myself there. Here's what she sounds like.
4: My name is Kathy. I spent last Saturday night celebrating my Employee of the Year nomination with... A box of Oreo cookies.
5: The first special, titled Kathy, aired on CBS in May of 1987. It follows Kathy as she's set to receive an award at work and is putting in a lot of overtime. Irving says that he isn't going to her award ceremony, which her friends, family, and co-workers disapprove of. Kathy tries to make the best of it, saying that she's an independent woman, but she's really disappointed. She then surprises Irving at his apartment, only to find him cheating on her after five years in a relationship. And no, he still can't say I love you.
4: I cannot believe it, mom. Does a man have to say he cares for me in exactly your words or it doesn't count? We have solid years of avoiding any kind of actual verbal commitment with each other mom does a track record like that count for nothing well you're wrong mom you are wrong wrong
6: wrong i hate it when she's
5: wrong. kathy is completely humiliated and she dumps him she goes on a date with another guy to try to bounce back but he sucks On the night of her award, Kathy decides to show up in her robe and rollers, still upset that Irving hasn't called her. Eventually, Irving does call, and Kathy takes him back immediately. They make up, and it ends like this.
4: I'm trying to learn not to be so macho.
5: And I'm going to try to learn that
4: even employees of the year have to make time for a date if they want a relationship. And
7: I'm going to try to not run out and meet someone else every time you get busy.
4: Yeah, me too.
7: Yeah, you you went out trying to meet other people? When did you do that?
4: Better stay on your toes, Irving. There are lots of single men in this town. It's an amazing time to be single, all right. We're all free to be anything, but under a hundred new pressures to be everything. We work for deeper, more meaningful relationships. And then try to make them work in the 10 free minutes we have a day. It's always been easier to leave a relationship if you're single.
6: I guess in the 80s, it's just a little more challenging to stay in.
5: Irving very much takes center stage in these specials in a way that puts him firmly at the center of Kathy Cannon, even though there's whole years in the comic strip where he doesn't appear at all. But this special holds a special place in Kathy geis career. She won a goddamn Emmy for it in 1987. Here's her speech.
0: Kathy Geis-White and Ever Brown are first-time Emmy winners.
5: I'd like to say a
8: special thanks to my sisters Marianne and Mickey who are not only my best editors but the whole foundation of my sense of humor. When I started the comic strip, Kathy, I was sure that I was the only woman in the world who came home from a day in my brilliant career and stood in the kitchen, squirting ready whipped whip topping directly into my mouth. (laughs) I was sure that I was the only professional, enlightened professional business person who balanced my checkbook by switching banks and starting all over every six months. who coped with relationship problems by eating a cheesecake. (laughs) I'm first grateful to my parents not only for encouraging me to believe that I was not the only one, but for forcing me to send the humiliating moments of my own life to Universal Press Syndicate for publication.
5: (laughs) The second special, Kathy's Last Resort, also revolves around Irving's inability to tell Kathy that he loves her, but this time on vacation.
2: Want to help me unthaw? You
5: always act like a lunatic after you've been to the shrink.
2: Just a sec. Take emotional risk, okay, I did that. Humiliate self with erotic suggestion,
4: I did that. Just just a sec. Uh, maintain romantic mood. I love how your strong jaw moves when you call me lunatic. <laughs> Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at org.
9: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
2: The
5: final special is Kathy's Valentine from 1989, and is mostly a long protracted fight between Kathy and Irving again. Kathy is in therapy in this special, and she's trying to make the relationship work, but Irving thinks therapy is ridiculous and complains because he's himself.
2: Forget it, Kathy, okay? I am sick of being the perfect guy just to get yelled at.
5: They break up twice over the course of the episode, but are somehow back together by the end. Oh my god, I hate Irving so much. Ugh. One chance to get things sort of, you
2: know, rekindled before Valentine's
5: Day. Oh, for heaven's sake.
8: Romance has nothing to do with what you wear. It's what you have in the cupboard.
5: These TV specials were the runway up to the peak of the comic's presence in merchandising and public recognition in the early to mid-1990s. However, looking back on these TV specials now, Kathy doesn't necessarily stand by the content.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I banned them from being (laughs) made available for purchase. There was just like, you know, there's like everything. It was just so, you know, dated. So they, um, that was very exciting to work on those. Um, I wanted to write the scripts of course that was a giant argument because i wasn't a tv writer so that was a huge argument but Mm -hmm. i wanted to write the scripts so i did write the first one it you know got altered a bit by the Mm -hmm. network but you know you know it was basically it was basically my story and mine was my original versions or like packed dialogue because i was finally liberated from the four boxes so i could tell (laughs) us you know i could tell a real story you know with real dialogue and i wanted them i wanted the characters you know to talk fast and for it to be like more that banter that you would see on tv now and so that was um that was rejected because um because it was so outside of the kind of the timing that 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 team Oh, oh, everything was everything was brought up in the 80s, <laughs> you know, okay. kind of like everything. <laughs> the decade before you were born, mm-hmm. everything was happening, Jamie.
5: I missed it. <laughs> and you I missed, missed it. everything.
6: It all was happening then. I'm <laughs> not going to tell you about it because it was done. Uh, yeah. So we pursued a uh, live action a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, Who did you picture as
5: as Kathy.
6: Well, that was always kind of a problem. I don't, think, I don't think anybody could ever quite figure that out. But, you know, it got, it got to the point where somebody else wrote scripts that I hated, then I wrote scripts that they hated, and then we got, you know, it went a little ways down the road a few times, and then ultimately that didn't happen.
5: The late 80s continued to bring success for the whole Guy's White family. Anne Geisweit, Kathy's mom, actually released a book called Motherly Advice from Kathy's Mom in 1987. And knowing her education and pedigree as a writer, I thought this was very cool. Kathy also collaborated with her younger sister, Mickey Geisweit on a book in 1993 with Mickey writing and Kathy illustrating. All of the Geisweit women's styles gel very closely with Kathy's. Nearly all of this work is built around the day-to-day anxieties of women from different generations. 1988 brought Kathy's biggest flare-up controversy-wise when the comic showed Andrea campaigning extensively for Michael Dukakis, who was running for president in 88, against George Bush Sr. The blowback was so severe that Kathy eased off explicitly political references for the next two decades.
6: I think I was always pretty cautious about being controversial mm-hmm. you know the do The when I'm sure you read about when I did the strips where Andrea was actively campaigning for Dukakis in the, in the mm-hmm. common strip that did not go over well um with a lot of uh, editors and people they just weren't expecting that yeah uh, one-sided opinion from me um and they said at the time you know this is not uh, you know, is not a political strip. And if it were, we'd run it on the editorial page. And my mm. you know, my stand at that time was that, you know, everything I wrote was sort of political. I mean, it
5: was... And in the early 90s, Kathy Mania reached its peak. While there weren't any more TV specials, the merchandising craze exploded. There's actually video footage of my mom at this work Christmas party in 1990 showing off her cubicle being like, I'm so happy before I had kids. And what is behind her? Yes, it is a Kathy comic strip, proudly pinned to her divider wall. In a Detroit Free Press poll from 1990, Kathy was ranked the fourth favorite comic by women and the fifth least favorite comic by men. Classically polarizing. Kathy Geiswite remained the CEO of her own company while continuing to churn out comics week by week, and in 1992 had a wild year personally and professionally. She won the Rubin Award, the prestigious National Cartoonist Society honor, and was only the second woman to have ever done so in the ceremony's 40 plus year history. In her personal life, after decades of living as a single woman and putting her career front and center, at 41, Kathy adopted her daughter, Ivy, and raised her as a single parent.
6: You know, in the 90s, when the licensing had gotten really big, mm-hmm. and we were just built this this whole other office just got designed for us to move into, and the comic strip was doing great, that's, and I had, I mean, six waking hours six, six seconds, you know, per day where I wasn't just completely overwhelmed. That's when it occurred to me that I should adopt a baby. So (laughs) that's (laughs) because why not? You know, it's just that I look, I'm like the I'm like the luckiest person on earth that I've had the opportunities that I've had and I've had the chances I've had to make all the mistakes I did make Mm -hmm. and that that I was. I was given this amazing opportunity for self-expression at a time there weren't other women doing that and yeah. that out of the all of it that I was a complete workaholic born into a generation that like we were instructed to not have children you know we were going into the workforce that was the mindset you know it wasn't it wasn't at all what it is now which is you know going into adulthood Knowing that you could combine motherhood with working, it was the opposite of that. It was you were choosing one path or the other. You were going to be a wife and mother or you're going to be a single working person, period. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so I was obedient to that to the max, you know, until right. um, until I hit um, 40 and, <laughs> you know, it was going to, like, steal somebody's baby. I mean, my, my mother, you know, suddenly <laughs> I had to be a mother. So so. Yeah. But the but that I somehow that I was among my blessings were that I was able to have this great career. I was able to have the possi- the opportunity to make all the mistakes that I did, and I still kept having a great career. And that I was able to have the blessing of motherhood, like uh, right in the middle of that, and that that worked. It's just like mm-hmm. very very lucky person
5: this is one of the only times that kathy took some time off and sent the comic into repeats to spend time with her newborn according to the new york daily news writer david hinckley she sent out a letter personally apologizing for taking time off in a column from may 1992 he writes this what did take two-thirds of a page was her apology i'm really sorry to be doing this she said it's my own fault i can't get ahead like i should But I just don't have any choice now that the adoption is so near. I offer my deepest thanks, she writes, if you can give this extra support to me right now. He continues. Now, two things come to mind. First, this is exactly what Guy's White's Kathy character would do. Exactly. Second, if this were a male cartoonist, any male, this letter would not exist. Newspapers would only get letter number one, saying this artist was taking time off. He wants it. He deserves it. See you in July. And he's right, there was a long tradition of male comic writers taking time off. Many of them Kathy's contemporaries, Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury, Gary Larson of the Far Side, Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes. And she wasn't even completely taking time off, she was still doing Sunday comic strips. By the 1990s, Kathy's personal life had begun to stray from the storylines of her comic pretty significantly. As Kathy the artist headed into motherhood and later marriage while remaining the owner of her own business, her character continued to navigate singledom and worked for the same company she started at in the 1970s. Kathy writes this
7: I really have devoted myself to the comic strip a long time. I want my own identity. I need that more than I did in the beginning. I need to feel like I had my own life. Mind you, there are certain traits that we certainly share, and we always will.
5: At the height of the comic's popularity, Kathy's life was also changing. She met her now ex-husband, the screenwriter Christopher Wilkinson, at a daycare group where he was bringing his son, and Kathy was bringing her daughter. Wilkinson wrote Nixon, if you saw that. I didn't, but they're divorced, so I don't have to. The two got married in 1997, and Kathy lived with her daughter, stepson, and husband while continuing to run the company and make the comic. The licensing business continued to thrive, including a memorable campaign for Weight Watchers featuring both Kathy and Irving, using illustrations that referenced a storyline from the comic where the two of them began to go to the gym together to get in shape and lose weight the late 90s brought a cookbook that Kathy collaborated on with Chef Barbara Albright called Girl Food. I have this cookbook, because I'm a girl and I need food, and it features recipe titles like I really, really, really deserve a raise buttermilk donuts and never the same size, low calorie coleslaw. (laughs) We'll be talking about this book later, and it is one of the last major merchandising efforts of the comic strip because the merchandising company did not last for the entire duration of the comic, closing its doors by the early 2000s. During this period of time, Kathy was more recognizable and making more money than ever, but she says that the compounded roles of CEO, artist, wife, and mom resulted in the cheapening of her brand for a period of time.
6: Yeah. So the com- doing the actual comic strip, that um, got squashed into shorter and shorter amount of time. Again, when I look back at life now and I go, I wish, I wish I had had this perspective now. (laughs) And this is my wisdom now of, oh, this is what I was doing that was kind of unique and good was doing the comic strip and some maybe greeting cards. Those I could have achieved Mm -hmm. in my own, in my own little office without, without all the the hubbub, but I also could have maybe taken some time to, you know, better reflect on what I was doing and the the opportunity I was given to have this very unique voice for women in the newspaper where there was like nothing else happening for women in the paper. But, you know, I kind of kind of wish that I had, um, I wish I had not been so busy
5: At the turn of the century, Kathy was syndicated in over 1,500 newspapers and had amassed about 70 million readers. By 2005, Kathy the artist had been married long enough that she was ready for her fictional character to join her there, something that many people felt betrayed by after the character was famously single for almost 30 years at that point. And while, yes, it's pretty petty to be mad about the marital status of a cartoon character, Kathy Guyswhite had explicitly promised many times to never have the character get married. This is the woman who said this to the Detroit Free Press in 1981 about her own singleness.
7: My syndicate threatens that if I ever get close to marriage, they'll lock me up. In
5: 1987, Kathy says this.
7: I know how abandoned I feel when one of my friends gets married. I won't let Kathy do that to her readers.
5: Here's what she says about that decision now. Was it always going to be Irving? I mean, he was obviously he was like such a presence over the years, but he would disappear and then he would come back a couple of years later. And, you know, what 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 made you land on like, no, it is Irving. I don't know. I
6: married the wrong guy too. So what can I say? I never had time to step back from the strip. and like, plan it out. Like, you know, like I mentioned that, like one would think, it would be smart to do. I, I felt that when they got married they had both grown and changed and they really had. I mean he was he was in the beginning, he was the definition of a chauvinist pig and he wasn't when they got married. He was he was a man trying to who was also vulnerable, who was trying to be in a relationship. He loved Kathy and um I, I you know, I, it it was okay.
5: And as it turns out Kathy, the character's marriage, outlasted the real life Kathy's marriage that had motivated it. Kathy and her husband split in 2008, at which point she reclaimed her space by hanging up a neon axe sign in the house. Two years later, she decided to end the Kathy comic in newspapers in October 2010 on her own terms. You may remember that Kathy, the character, announces that she's pregnant in the final comic strip.
6: Maybe four or five months or six months before I and before this trip ended, I talked to the syndicate about you know the fact that I needed to end it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so on one hand, you would think that I had lots of time to plan how it would end. On the other hand, I still was running in front of the train, you know, every week (laughs) trying to do them. And then I was also trying to field all of the stuff about the strip ending. So it, you know, it was, um, it wasn't again as usual like I had two months to sit back and go okay how how is this all going to wrap up I knew that when I ended the strip that I wanted to um you know I wanted to revisit all the characters a, a bit and I knew that I wanted I knew that I wanted to end the strip with Kathy expecting a baby girl so that in Readers' fantasies, at least, they could imagine that the si- circle of life, uh, <laughs> the circle of mother daughter aggravation, was going <laughs> forth <laughs> into the
5: future. Uh, the circle of act continues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth noting that Kathy Geisweit's choice to end a spectacularly successful comic strip in this way was and is extremely unusual. More often than not, comics that are on the page for this long, 34 years in Kathy's case, go into syndication. That basically means that old strips from past years will continue to run in the paper to keep artists relevant and to continue to make them money. Kathy elected not to do this, leaving a lot of money on the table in the process. When doing interviews towards the end of the comics run, she said this to the Washington Post.
7: I feel like I have always been and continue to be humbled to have that space on the page. I feel like I need to earn it every day to do my best new stuff. Now I love the idea of releasing my space to another cartoonist who can have a chance in the papers. It wouldn't seem right to do reruns.
5: The comic strip ending also revitalized interest in Kathy for those who had fallen out of the habit of reading the comic or who no longer read physical newspapers as news increasingly migrated online. And with that interest came a lot of those same old criticisms and jokes that popped up via the hashtag ways end tag taking off on Twitter in 2010. And some of them are pretty funny. In an orgy of blood violence. Garfield devoured her whole. But most of them were based on the caricature-like stereotypes that had calcified around Kathy Geiswyd's work over the past couple decades. Overhead shot of her laying face down in an empty room next to the half-eaten lean cuisine that she choked to death on. Hashtag ways Kathy should end. Hoarding experts arrived too late to find Kathy flattened under a heap of diet aids, cats, and dating books. Hashtag ways Kathy should end. The tone of this criticism does not change much at all between the 1970s and the 1990s, and it affected Kathy Geiswhite quite a bit.
4: Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's p-a-c-a-s-o dot This is it.
0: Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future.
1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
8: Hi,
9: I'm Cindy Crawford and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
5: She writes about how the criticism affected her in her essay collection, 50 Things That Aren't My Fault. This comes in the middle of the titular essay, where Guy Swite discusses and defends her choice to talk about the issues that affected her in her comic strip.
7: I had the amazing platform of an internationally syndicated comic strip, which some people said I should have used to voice triumphant stories of unwavering feminism, but which I instead used to voice the insecurities, relationship frustrations, mother-daughter angst, career grief, and food blunders under which so many of our triumphant dreams get squashed. Some people thought my work reinforced the negative stereotype of women being obsessed with shopping, weight, and love, But it wasn't my fault that we still live in a world that partly judges women by what we wear, how much we weigh, and whether or not, and who or how we love. Not my fault that with every glorious new possibility for women came an extra sense of isolation when we not only couldn't keep up, but we're told we shouldn't talk about the things that held us back. She
5: continues later in the essay.
7: I would try to sum up days of research and perspective and the real-life experience of living in this culture into four tiny newspaper comic strip boxes with a bit of hope in the last panel and would be heartbroken sometimes, honestly, when some people would say, there she goes, writing about shopping again. I wanted to write notes to all the people who were unhappy with my work and explain myself. I wanted to write notes to all the people who were happy with my work and tell them how deeply grateful I was. They let me know that I wasn't alone.
5: Kathy and I spoke about this criticism as well.
6: <laughs> I am well aware that my strip was ridiculed a lot. Okay, ridiculed by, man, by some, not just not liked by others, um, actively disliked by women who are in a much stronger, um, more self-assured um, place of feminism than I was when I wrote a lot of it.
5: After the comic ended, Kathy Geiswhite lived her life. She had two elderly parents that she spent more time with in Florida, and she was able to spend time with her daughter Ivy during her senior year of high school. Starting in 2018, she started inching back into the art world, developing a following on Instagram. These comics tended to reference current events as they were happening. Kathy supports Christine Ford's testimony. Kathy supports the walk for our lives. Kathy tells you to vote in the midterms, and on and on. 2019 brought Kathy's first book that wasn't comics, an essay collection where she's the most open she's ever been about her life and experiences throughout her career. Branded as Essays from the Grown-Up Years, it was a really enjoyable read that invokes the kind of work that Nora Ephron was doing in her essay collections later in her career. There's a lot of talk about the indignities and frustrations of aging, of being caught between caring for a young adult daughter and elderly parents. Reflections on love and marriage and on the passing of her father during the 2010s. The book was well received and for the first time in 10 years, Kathy was back on the press circuit speaking to a whole new generation of women that younger people like me mainly knew through people dunking on it rather than actually engaging with it. And this relevance surged once again in 2020 when the pandemic lockdown began in the United States because Kathy started creating comics on a regular basis again. So after 10 years of absence, what's it like to be back?
6: The woman with her face in the mashed, potato <laughs> mashed potatoes. The, that proud, That proud icon of feminism, right? <laughs> How
5: does it feel having like the the comic back in your in your life and like a on a, in a very regular sense?
6: The first word that comes to mind is guilt ridden. You know, when I did the comic strip, I would, you know, I would do it weeks ahead. And then okay. weeks later, I might get a letter or two in the mail saying, gee, I like that one or gee, I hated that one. So that was that. <laughs> okay. But this way, you know, 10 seconds after I draw it. I can post it. And then 10 seconds after that, somebody has something to say about it. And then there's kind of the um, the need to k- kind of communicate with everybody and then to follow what other people are doing. And it's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, I'll just say it's a lot. I have loved um, having a place to dump my anxieties. I have loved that. I never, I never in a million years thought I would be drawing regularly again. And I'm also, I'm not sure how long I'm going to do it. But I think when, when I started doing them, I mean, of course it was originally just for me to dump my frustrations on paper, but I know from doing the comic strip that one thing I can contribute to the world is, uh, (laughs) you know, commiseration, I'll say. Well, well, everybody, I think, during the pandemic was kind of doing what they could do, you mm-hmm. know, to help be of service to others or to help others. I was not going to go out of the house and do anything, but this is something I could I could contribute. And a lot of people, I think also the pandemic has um, it's made a lot of people kind of reflective and mm-hmm. nostalgic for something normal or something you know some friends a lot of people kind of reconnected with friends you know online or on the phone and I heard from a lot of people that they just said oh Kathy's was my friend for so long and thank god you know I, there she is again and that that she's I I love that I love feeling like um I could kind of uh have the character be there as a friend to people during this time
5: The pandemic comics are emblematic of this old friend vibe. Like so many people, the Kathy character struggles with managing anxiety about the state of the world, with food issues, with boredom, with missing friends and family, referencing the extreme discomfort and darkness of this time without actually getting too dark. And that brings us up to today. As I record this, Kathy is chilling with her 99-year-old mom doing Zoom yoga classes together in Florida. She's living, baby. Something that really strikes me about Kathy Geiswhite is that in my experience talking with her, she still very much embodies a lot of that insecurity and willingness to believe unkind things that people have said about her. And this is another point where I personally connect with her. Of course, the shitty stuff is always going to stick with you more.
6: Wow. I was never, uh, I am not a funny person. I've never told a joke. I only have, uh, 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 (laughs) uh, over time, I acquired a skill of finding, um, the, the bright moment in not, you know, in not bright moments. And then, Mm -hmm. Putting it down on paper. So but I'm not I'm not a comedian.
5: Her career is one built on self-deprecation, but taking Kathy's view of herself at face value without looking at the scope of her accomplishments and the foundation built by those who came before her would be to make a huge mistake. Kathy's work, while remaining pretty narrow in its scope, tried to talk about things that made women feel bad about themselves, and a lot of the criticism thrown at her is rooted in the character being not a good enough role model for other women. This specific criticism is so bizarre to me, because the comic is written for adults. Like, I don't think there was a single person who was modeling their behavior after kathy comics and adding to this the amount of pressure that was on the few women working in this industry kathy guys and lynn johnston primarily and expecting one comic book character to represent all women is an impossible bar to clear and it's not an expectation or criticism that was ever lobbed at her male cohort
6: you know in retrospect there were a zillion issues that i could have taken on um more strongly in the comic strip mm-hmm. and you know part of me thinks gee if I'd really if I'd ever gotten ahead enough to really step back you know could I should I would I have um, presented a, a stronger stand on on a lot of things mm-hmm. and yet I I also know that I think that my character's contribution to the world is one of offering women f- a relief and commiseration and helping, you know, that there's no getting out and conquering the world. If you can't like get out the front door, if you don't feel good enough about yourself to get yeah. out the front door and you can't, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't like get through the next five minutes, you know, with a little, <laughs> a little bit of optimism. So I think that that is the, you know, the character's uh, main service is, not, not always a good role model, but always a, a friend.
5: But also like you have to speak on behalf of you know your entire gender. like that's that's such a huge additional weight to be to be put on you.
6: Uh, well, thank you for that acknowledgement.
5: Throughout her career, Kathy bounced between accepting the press projection that she and her character were one and the same, and the more nuanced reality, that she had her own private life that she never spoke of in detail in public, and a clear mission on creating artistic comfort food for the adult women of her era. I think this quote from 1981 in the Detroit Free Press sums it up perfectly.
7: Nobody has it totally together, and that's okay.
5: I'll be speaking with Kathy Guys white a lot more throughout this series, but I wanted you to know her too. We hold up so many writers and figureheads like her, and Kathy deserves her flowers too. Her work is representative of dealing with the pressures of being a woman in the late 20th century in practice. Characters who are aware of and supportive of the feminist movement, but who have trouble logistically and personally applying it to their own lives. But to this day, feminists remain some of Kathy's biggest critics. We're going to look at why and where Kathy's work falls in the history of American women next week on ActCast. Where,
6: where are you on the children
5: thing, uh, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm. I'm definitely not there yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've. I've been. I've AgCast is an iHeartRadio production. It is written, researched, and hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. Sophie Lichterman is the world's greatest producer. Isaac Taylor is the world's greatest editor. Zoe Blade writes the world's greatest music. And Brandon Dickert wrote the world's greatest theme. Huge thank you to Kathy Geisweit for this episode in particular. And in today's episode, you heard the vocal talent of Anna Hosnier, Julia Clare, and Isaac Taylor.